Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Man, what a weird night. What a weird day. Never seen us worshiping and then fire go out like that. That that was the Holy Spirit falling right there. That's the power of God to just shut everything down. Hallelujah. How many of you are just not really here? Okay, because I'm not. I'm like, uh, I was actually here at 1245 at the church, just checking to make sure the church was still here. I was like, just want to make sure it's still here, make sure we're going to be able to have service. Uh, man, just a uh, crazy uh, night last night. I'm glad you're here. Uh, today is the final Sunday for our Relationship Killer series. Welcome to Uncomfortable Sunday as we talk about sex. Turn to the person next to you and just say, are you ready? Yeah. Uh, that just made it even more uncomfortable, didn't it? <laughs> ready for what? Every husband's like, dang straight, I'm ready. All right. Some of you will get that later. Whew. All right. And who planned the sex talk on Senior Sunday? <laughs> who does that? You know who does that? The parents. They're graduating. Tell them, Pastor. Tell them. All right, I'll tell them. All right, I'm going to talk to you too as well. Um, this was, we were actually supposed to have, this series was actually supposed to go another week. This has been a weird series because it was actually supposed to, if you're, if you're new to Core Church, the series actually ended last week. Did Laura not do an amazing job last week bringing the word? But uh, I just really felt that God impressed upon me. This was just honestly a message I wanted to run from, Fifty Shades of Gray Area. Um, as a pastor, I want to be upfront. If you're new to Core Church, I, I'm just not one of these, you know, Bible thumping. You know, you're going to burn in the pit of hell and the damnation of sin and abomination. Uh, that's not who I am. Uh, and so, rarely, if ever, uh, do I point to something in culture. Only when I when I feel like we've just gone a little bit too far, or that we need to come back to center. And we need to know the truth. And there's times that uh, when I preach, I preach three different things. Things The Apostle Paul said this, uh, what is to preach uh, encouragement, to correct, and to rebuke. So there's times that I have to bring a message to the congregation. Everybody loves encouragement. You love, you love those Sundays, don't you? Oh, it's Encouragement Sunday. I just love our pastor. You hate rebuke Sunday, don't you? Now, that's the word I bring to the church, to the followers of Jesus, to say quit jacking around and turn around and come back to Jesus. That's a rebuke way. And then this Sunday is what I would call a correct. We have to do a course correction, a little bit for us who are followers of Jesus. So today, even though it may have the appearance that I'm speaking to culture, I'm really speaking to those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, today this message is for you. It's a, a message of correction to bring us in the church and as followers of Jesus, into correction, to correct our course a little bit, put us back on course of what Christ and his plan is for us. Now, before I get into the, the scripture, I want to mention this too. Uh, next week, we were planning to do a question and answer, but uh, God just decided that he wanted us to do something different. Friday, I was having my time that I have alone with God where I pray and reflect and just listen to what he's wanting to speak to us as a church and to me as a pastor uh, and he said, listen, I want you to not do that Q&A, and I want you to take the series that you're planning to do called Defining Moments, and I want you to bump it up a week. And I'm like, wow, God, if you bump it up a week, then that messes everything up. And God's like, really, you're going to tell me what to do? And I'm like, I guess not. Um, 
but I really feel like next Sunday is going to be, um, well, the, the name of the message that I'm going to preach next week, it's, it, the series is called Defining Moments, The Life of Peter. We're going to be looking at the life of Peter and defining moments. And, and what I'm going to talk about next week is your greatest defining moment. So what preachers don't do, let me give you a little bit behind the scenes, okay, a little backstage access to preachers. On holiday weekends, the preacher doesn't usually preach. That's his weekend to not preach because everybody goes to the lake or goes to the family or just says, you know what, it's the weekend, uh, it's a holiday weekend, I'm not going to church, why would I go to church on a holiday weekend? Uh, and so usually that's the week the preacher takes off. But I'm going to be preaching next week. And usually when you preach a very, very critically important message to the church, one that you think is adamantly important, which I will tell you that the message that I'm going to preach next week, which I think will be perhaps the most important message I have ever preached next Sunday, will be the most important message I have ever delivered uh, in my 15 years of doing ministry. And that's a pretty big statement. And I'm going to do it on a holiday weekend. I don't know why, but that's what God told me to do. So we're going to do that next week. I know many of you are going out of town. If you're going out of town, listen to the podcast. You're going to need to listen to the podcast. If you are in town, make sure you are here, okay? It's a holiday weekend, but make sure you're here. If you look around and you see people that normally call Core Church home and they're not here, you need to get on the phone, you need to text them. You take your phone right now and text them right now. Why is your butt not in church? And they'll probably text back because it's talking about sex and it makes me uncomfortable. But very seriously, next week is, I think, the most critical uh, message I will deliver to the church and to you personally. So I hope that you will make plans to be here next Sunday. So let's get into this message, though. Today, as we conclude, relationship killers, 50 shades of gray area. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. And we're going to be in verse 1. Matthew is the first book of the... New Testament, it's about three-fourths of the way through your paper Bible. Uh, if you have a mobile device, you can download the Bible at corechurch.com. If you need a Bible, they're free. They're in the next steps room. You get that after the, after the service. But Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and he recorded the words in the, in the uh, ministry of Jesus. And in chapter 19, we hear him speaking. This is uh, a message from, from Jesus in his life. Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Now some Pharisees, and Pharisees were just the preachers, the religious, Jewish religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees came, they tried to trap him with this question, and they were jealous of him. They didn't like him. Uh, if you're new to church, Pharisees, they didn't like him because he was getting large crowds. He was drawing crowds away from their parish, and they're like, well, I want them following me, and they're all following Jesus, and so they're very jealous of him. So they tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And then Jesus said this, these are the words of Jesus, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. All right, let's pray as we get ready to hear from God. Father, we are so thankful for um, your word, Uh, this word which is really a gift to us as a church. And I just pray in the moments that we have that uh, you'd speak just very clearly to us. I want to ask you, if you would, if you're, as you sit there, just uh, pray for the people around you, your left, your right, in front of you, behind you, 
You don't have to do that out loud, but just pray to be open to God. Pray that you would be open. God, help me to be open to what you want to say. And, and please pray for me as your pastor that I'm going to be faithful to the text, faithful to what God wants us to hear uh, today. And if you're ready to hear from the Lord, give me a big amen. Well, domestic violence is getting a, a lot of press these days, a lot of press, uh, and I think rightly so. Uh, there's just a lot of um, athletes especially. It seems like every other day there's a new athlete that's done something to abuse a woman. Um, we saw just this week um, Kendrick Perkins, the um, former Oklahoma City Thunder player uh, who allegedly had an altercation with his wife. Uh, and then we, we all know about the Ray Rice situation, and we've seen the pictures, we've seen the video and the elevator, and, and it's just incredibly, incredibly disturbing uh, when, when we see that. And we should be disturbed when, when we see that. But what I want to focus on today for a few minutes is this, that I, I just think it seems odd to me that we are outraged by these athletes and domestic violence, yet we flock to see it at the box office just personally i don't get that Uh, 50 shades of gray has made over 500 million dollars at the box office sold over 100 million books now for some of you here today you might be saying i'm sorry brad i um you said Fifty Shades of Grey and domestic violence. I'm not getting the cor- correlation here. And I, and I understand that. Um, if you go to IMDb, the Internet Movie Database place, and we, it's great. I love that. If you go there and you see how they list the movie, they, they list the movie not as a violent movie. They actually list the movie as um, drama and romance. Romance. Okay. Let's Let's... Look for just a moment at the definition of domestic violence, because I think this would help us. And this is not my definition, but this is one that comes directly from a government website, justice.gov. And it says that this is the definition of domestic violence. We define domestic violence as a pattern of abusive behavior in any relationship that is used by one partner to gain or maintain power and control over another intimate partner. Domestic violence can be physical, sexual, emotional, economic, or psychological actions or threats of actions that influence another person. This includes any behaviors that intimidate, manipulate, humiliate, isolate, frighten, terrorize, coerce, threaten, blame, hurt, injure, or wound someone. When I see that definition... I think of Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, in full disclosure, I have not seen the movie. Um, I had planned to read the book, but um, honestly, I, with all the graphic sexual things in the book, I asked somebody if they would rip all the sexual parts out of it, and they did, and they gave me the book, and it was only three pages long. So um, it's like, well, there goes that. But I, I, in, in full disclosure, I've not seen the movie, I, I, I've not read the book, and I'm certainly not at this moment going, how many of you have seen the movie? How many of you have read the book? Yeah, I don't think that anybody wants to go, hey, I, I did, Pastor. I just, it was amazing. It's beautiful cinematography. Probably not something you want to go there right now. 
But, but when I, I, I think of this, this movie and this book, if you're not familiar with it, I, I would imagine you're somewhat familiar with the story. But I did do some research in the last couple of weeks to make sure I had my bearing straight on, on what the story is all about. So if you've not seen the movie or you, you've not read the book, let me just give you an overview of that, okay? And this is not my opinion. This is just kind of what the book is about. If Fifty Shades of Grey, it's a story of Christian Grey and Anastasia Steele. Now, Christian Grey... He's a 27-year-old CEO. He's a billionaire. He has riches beyond riches. He has power. He can do anything he wants. He's really uh, good-looking, but he is completely unfulfilled in his life. Anastasia Steele, she's a 21-year-old college student, and she is a virgin. Now, what's important for us to know is this is not a love story. Honestly, this is really a very, very sad story of abuse. Abuse that began for Christian Grey at a very young age. Christian Grey, in the novel, was adopted, and when he was about 15 years old, an older woman took advantage of him and began to sexually abuse him from the ages of 15 to 21 with sadomasochism. And as Christian got older, he never got help. Never got help, never got counseling, and then what did he do? He turns this abuse on other women in the same way that he was abused, he begins to do that to the women in his life. What was done to him, he begins to do to them. Sounds very similar to the golden rule. If you think of the words of Jesus, we we know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But that's the golden rule according to Jesus and, and for those who put our faith and our hope in Jesus. But if you're not a follower of Jesus and when sin corrupts your soul, guess what happens? You do unto others as they did to you. And that's where Christian kind of finds himself. So Anastasia, she's infatuated with, with Christian and she desires a relationship with him. But then she begins to discover this dark side of him. And he's constantly pressuring her to to give in to these perverted sexual desires and lifestyle that he has. And in the book, she's very, very uncomfortable with it. And, and she's telling him, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be involved in that. But she keeps, he keeps on pressuring her. He even uh, makes up a contract at one point. He wants her to sign this contract. And, and this contract basically is his way of controlling her. The contract stipulates... He gets to decide what she wears, what she eats, where she goes, when she goes there, and what she will do sexually for him. And so he's pressuring her to sign this contract, and then she eventually gives in to his demands. What I think is so bizarre about this is if it wasn't a really good-looking 27-year-old CEO billionaire with planes and flying everywhere with the condo, if this was just some fat overweight, middle-aged, bald guy in his basement living with his mom? Nobody would go see it. Nobody would read it. We would be sickened by it. We would be upset by it. The thing I see about this is there's nothing dramatic or romantic about this. When we look at this Fifty Shades of Grey, what's happening here is it's normalizing sexual abuse it's it's making it as if it's okay to perform violent acts against women now you 
honestly, I understand you have your opinion. I, I have mine. You're entitled to your opinion. But, well, Brad, I think you're going too far on that. Come on. See, you, you need to ease up on that. Well, let's, let's look at this. I want us to look at the definition again of domestic violence with Fifty Shades of Grey in it. Okay, so let's look at it again. Christian Grey, this is the actual definition from justice.gov. Christian Grey uses a pattern of abusive behavior in the relationship to gain and maintain power and control over Anastasia. He uses physical, sexual, emotional, economic, and psychological actions and threats of actions to influence Anastasia. He intimidates, manipulates, humiliates, isolates, frightens, terrorizes, coerces, threatens, blames, hurts, injures, and he wounds her. I'm not so disturbed by this movie as our acceptance of it. I'm not even here to be the bully in the pulpit, and I certainly hope you as a follower of Jesus wouldn't be that person that says, that's right, Pastor, you tell him about that ugly Fifty Shades of Grey. Hallelujah, you're an abomination going to hell if you read that. That's the wrong attitude. This is the wrong attitude. I'm not so disturbed by the movie as I am our acceptance that it's normal. What, what was once normal has become abnormal. And what was once abnormal is now normal. We are living in the sexually gray area right now. But with God, there is no gray area. So we're going to look at that for the few minutes that we have here. Jesus talked about sex. Sex is all over the Bible. There's many books that point to it. As Christians and followers of Jesus, many times we have certain passages of Scripture that we like to point out. Well, Paul said this, and Moses said this, and this person said that, and it's over here in the Old Testament in this little book here that nobody ever reads, but we're going to pull that one verse that nobody else has ever seen, and we're going to pull that one up, put it up on the screen, and say, see, that's what God says. And we could do that. But what I'd rather do is look and see what Jesus had to say about it. Because Jesus talked about sex. Jesus talked about sex and how it relates to relationships. And he was very clear about God's plan, and he completely removed the gray area. So let's look at it for the few minutes we have here. Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus starts off by saying this. He says, haven't you read in the what? In the Scriptures. Jesus didn't give his opinion, so he could have. I mean, and it would have been right, because he's God. But he didn't give his opinion here. No, instead he pointed to the Scriptures. Now, everybody's got an opinion on everything these days, don't they? I just go on Facebook and you can see that. Everybody's got their opinion of of what, what something should be. I mean, think about politics right now. If I were to mention right now a certain political figure or a certain political party and I were to throw that out there, there would be some some debate and some opinions as to what is right and what is wrong when it comes to politics. Music. Think of music. When we look at music, everybody's got their favorite kind of music and the music that they, they like. And some people like country, some people like pop, and some of us are distraught because Zane left One Direction. I mean, I was still not over that. I know some of you are just really confused about that whole thing and some of you, because Zane was my favorite. I know that's weird to you because some of you, Harry's your favorite, and some others of you are Liam. We all have our opinion, very strong, on One Direction. 
But we, do, we, have, we, have, we have our opinion. Movies. I, I'm not going to go there because if you've been here for this series at all, my family, very strong opinions on Frozen and Gone with the Wind. Very, very strong opinions on that. Those are great movies. Just fantastic movies. But we also have opinions on sex. We have opinions on sex and, and, and we base our standard instead of on scripture, we base it on personal opinion. Why? Well, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. Problem is, personal opinion is really a lousy way to determine your standards. Let me tell you why that's a lousy way. Because when everybody determines their own standard, there is no standard. You know that, right? That means there is no standard. And if there is no standard, there's chaos. And if there's chaos, that's called anarchy. That kind of describes where we are at today. And this is why Jesus pointed first to the Scriptures as the authority and the standard. Now, let me talk to those of you who are followers of Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. You don't have to adhere to the standard. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. But if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, and he's the Lord and Savior of your life, you've also made a commitment to follow the Scriptures. I really think this is why in this moment that Jesus did that. I think this is why Jesus pointed to the Scriptures, because he wanted us to see the authority of the Word. And as followers of Jesus, this is our standard. Let me ask parents, those of you that are parents, what standard are you holding up in your home? Do you ever open this and talk and read this to your children? Do, do you ever get this out and read this as a family? Do you ever have discussions about this book? Well, Brad, my kid's three. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Get, get the Bible with pictures in it. That's what I did. Reading the Word to your children and getting the standard of God into your children and helping them to understand the standard and the authority of God's Word is so critically important. You know why we are where we are today? And again, this is the Gospel according to Brad. So let me go on and say that. It's the Gospel according to Brad. I, I think it's because parents stopped giving this and feeding this to our children decades ago. And when one decade doesn't feed the Word of God to their children, the next decade does not feed it to their children, and they don't feed it to their children, and pretty soon we're a biblically illiterate society, and we come to church, and the only time we're hearing the Word of God and the standard is, is right now. We're not looking into it for ourselves. Parents, if you don't get this out and help your, your children to understand it, you're doing them an incredible disservice. What you're saying is, you know what, I think you ought to let that TV show define your standard. You know what I think you ought to do? You ought to, you, ought to, you ought to let that music you're listening to define your standard. That's probably a good idea. You know what you ought to do? You ought to let social media define your standard. What are your buddies doing? That's probably okay. Because if you're a parent of a junior high or, or teenager, it, this is the thing you hear all the time. Well, my friends are doing it. There's a good standard. But if you're not upholding this standard, they have no standard to go by. And they're going to pick one. And the sad thing is, even as parents, guess what? As parents and as adults, we have to step up first and say, okay, I'm going to make this my standard. Because the problem is, as followers of Jesus, 
Our standards are being decided by television, by movies, by music. Everything else is defining it except the Word of God. And let me tell you why that's so dangerous. Because the enemy likes to come in and distort the truth. He likes to take the the truth and distort it and make the abnormal normal. You don't believe me? Listen, I'm telling you, I'm in this Word Every single day, I, I feel like I pray, I'm, I'm close to God, I'm walking with Him, I feel like I'm locked arms with Him, I feel like Jesus, I'm in a tight relationship with Him, I mean, I feel like there's times I hear His voice, but then culture, I'll be driving down the road, I'll hear a song on the radio, and a w- voice comes into my head and says, Brad, you just need to loosen up a little bit, your standards are a little too tight. I'll be watching a movie or a TV show. Has this ever happened to you? You're watching a movie or a TV show, and all of a sudden you see this like couple, and they're not getting along, and frankly, she's kind of a not nice lady. Um, this is church. Uh, she's not a nice lady. And then, but then there's the other nice lady, and he starts like having a, a friendship with this other nice lady, and, and then this other nice lady is nice, and this lady over here, she's not nice. And do and you ever find yourself all of a sudden you're rooting for him to leave her and go to her? Like all of a sudden you're rooting for adultery. Yeah, you should leave her. She's no good for you. Yeah, go with that other. What happened to me? I'm rooting for adultery. That, that's what happens when we allow anything besides Scripture to define our standard. Subtle messages cause subtle shifts in our standards. Subtle messages cause subtle shifts in our standards. Jesus said this in John 8.32. You might want to write it down. You don't have to go there. But John 8.32 says this. You will know the truth. This is Jesus talking. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we we think we're being set free sexually, (laughs) but we're not. We're, We're actually imprisoning ourselves. That's what happened to Christian Gray. He was in a prison of abuse. Jesus could come and set him free from that abuse. Give him a new heart and a new life and a second chance and rewrite his life and give him hope. But he never turns to Jesus. He never looks towards that hope. And because of that, he is imprisoned in that abuse. And then he puts that abuse on others. Jesus says this, you want to discover the truth about sex, you've got to go back to the beginning. Look at verse 4 of Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Jesus said this, they record that, what, let's say this together, from the beginning. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Now let me mention real quick here what's going on. The Pharisees are basically trying to rewrite the standard on marriage. Um, they're, they're looking for an easy out because they basically don't like their wives, and they're just like, man, she's, just, she's a nag on me. I don't like her. I don't want her around. She's that lady, and I want to get rid of her. And Moses said I could just write a certificate of divorce. And, and Jesus is like, hang on a second here. You don't get marriage. You don't get anything about relationships at all. If that's what you think, that's what Moses meant. But you've twisted it, you perverted it to get what you want. Not what we do. And Jesus says this. Hey, how about we go back to the beginning? See how it was in the beginning. You know, anytime you get lost, don't you go back to the beginning? Think about it in music. If a, if a band is playing and, and they get lost in the middle of the, of, of the song and they're rehearsing and they can't figure out where they're at, what they will say is, hey, let's take it from the top. Let's take it from the 
top. I mean, you've got to go back to the beginning. If you lose something, you ever lost something, your car keys, your wallet, your phone, you don't know where it's at, what do you do? You retrace your... Yeah, you go back. You go back to the beginning to figure out, okay, I was here, and then I'm, I'm going to go here. You ever been in the middle of a conversation with somebody, and your words get all twisted around, and they're all of a sudden they're not understanding what you're saying, and you end up in this big old fight, and then you're just like, hey, hey, can we just start over? Got to go back to the beginning. For us as a society, we are lost sexually. We are so lost sexually, we no longer have a standard. It's anything with anybody, anytime, anywhere. That's kind of our standard now. And what Jesus says here is, you got to go back to the beginning. you got to go back to the way things were. To show you how far we've come and how twisted, how weird things are. How many of you remember the Brady Bunch? Anybody remember the Brady Bunch? I used to watch reruns of that during the summer. I love the Brady Bunch. Did you know that was a very controversial show in its day? Very controversial in its day. Uh, in fact, I'm going to show you an image here in just a moment that if this was like in 1970, that what I'm about to show you. And if I were to show you this image, oh, it's already up here. Okay, well, here it is. This image here, when you see this image, when you first see that, you're like, why is that so controversial? Not quite understanding that, Brad. I don't get that. This was one of the very first times a married couple was ever shown in bed together on national television. Very controversial. Many, many people said they had crossed the line. We've gone from Brady to Shady, haven't we? I mean, come on. Looking at that, what, what happened? This is what's interesting. The Motion Picture Association had a production code that they had. Uh, and this, this production code, let's see if I've got the... What did I do with the notes on that? Well, this production code, they started in 1938. And in 1938, they wrote this code for the motion picture industry, and they said this. You can't show a couple in bed together. You can't show a naked silhouette. You can't show anything that suggests or talks about sex. This is one of my favorites. You can't show excessive kissing. What is that? <laughs> I don't know what excessive kissing is, but you couldn't show that. You, you also couldn't belittle the clergy. Yes, I liked that one. I thought that was a good one. I think we should still uphold that one. In 1968, they did away with that standard because nobody was really following it anymore. And they did away with that standard. And it's interesting, when they did away with that standard, now all of a sudden there, there is no standard. And Jesus says you've got to go back to the beginning. So let's go back to the beginning, okay? Let's go back to the beginning. Verse 5, Jesus says... His standard, God's standard, is unchanging from the beginning of time. And here it is in verse 5. And he said this, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. If If you're wondering what united into one means, that's what it means. Okay? In the Greek, it means the couple had intimacy. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So what what is Jesus getting at here? I want you to notice the order. Notice everything God does has order. Creation has order to it. The way in which we worship, order. We serve a God of order, okay? A God of order. So look at the order that God gives us here. Jesus says this. Here's how it works. You grow up with a mom and dad, 
you move out, you meet somebody, you get married, and then you have sex. We're doing it the opposite way now, though, aren't we? Go out, have sex, maybe think about getting married, have some more sex, maybe get married, have some more sex, then get married, then move out of my parents' house. Let me just tell you, ladies, if he wants to do that and he's still living with his parents, see you later, Jack. You don't need that guy. You don't need that guy in your life. There is an order to it. And so what Jesus says here, here's God's standard. One man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that is not God's best for your life. If you're operating with anything outside of that, you're not getting God's best. You're settling for a copycat. You're settling for a counterfeit. You're settling for a lie from the enemy because God says you want the best one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. Now, this is a bold statement, by the way. You probably read this if you've been in church for any amount of time. You've probably read this a few times in your life. And you're like, wow, I never saw this like this. Jesus, when he says this, This is a very bold statement. You know why? Because the Roman Empire at this time had oppression upon the Jewish people. And the Romans, what the Romans were doing sexually, made Fifty Shades look like a Disney movie. They were, just Google it sometime. Make sure your kids aren't in the same room. Because what the Romans were doing as the leaders, as the Caesars, as the people, it was insane. It would make our culture look tame what they were doing. And Jesus steps into the middle of that and says, one man, one woman, covenant of marriage. That's a very controversial statement that Jesus made right at that moment. So Paul, Paul comes along and he writes a letter to the Ephesian church and he reiterates the words of Jesus. He says in, in chapter 5, he says this, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and has joined his wife and the two are united into one. So he says that and then he says this in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think Paul gives us a great picture of a healthy sexual relationship. He takes the words of Jesus and he says, okay, here's what a healthy sexual relationship looks like. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, come on. When Paul's talking about submitting, he ain't talking about getting kinky, okay? I know that's what you all think. You're like, he just said submit. I think he said submit on Fifty Shades of Grey Sunday. I don't think that's terrible. And so he said kinky, too. I don't know why he said kinky. I'm very uncomfortable right now. And when Paul talks about the word submit, it's not the Fifty Shades of Grey submit. Okay? His idea of submission is in reverence to Christ. In other words, it's honor. It's respect. I'm going to honor and I'm going to respect you in the same way that I would honor and respect Christ out of reverence for Christ. So let me give you a question I want you to write down. I want you to take this with you. It's the only thing I want you to write down, and I'm going to close with this. Do my thoughts, words, and actions honor God? Do my thoughts... My words and my actions honor God. If you say, man, I don't want to live in the gray area. What, I don't, what is the gray area? Even I'm married. I'm married and, I, and my wife and I and my husband and I, what's, what's the gray area? Is what we are doing, is what I'm doing honoring God? 
are my thoughts, the thoughts that I'm having, the words that I'm speaking, the actions. Are they honoring God? Now, that's a really, can we just be honest, that's a weird question for the bedroom, isn't it? That's just not one you're going to just pop out there, you know? It's like, are we supposed to pray before? Is that what you're saying? We're supposed to pray before? That that seems, okay, are you saying pray before we do that? Listen, let me tell you, ladies, your husbands are praying every night, okay? They're praying every night. Please, God, tonight. Please, God, tonight. Please. That's just free. I don't know why I'm... I am going to pay for that one when I get home. Laura is going to kill me for saying that from the stage. But I'm here to speak the truth. That's what I'm here. I'm here to speak the truth in love. Come on now. No, but, but do my thoughts, my words, and my actions, do they, they honor God? Ladies, you're created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. You are valued by Him. You deserve the same from a man. Okay? You're created in the image of God. Yeah. You're valued by Him. You deserve the same from a man. Men, God has risen us up to lead our homes and to lead the women in our lives. Honor and respect her for who she is. Do my thoughts, my words, and my actions, do they bring honor to God? I want us just to bow our heads and we're going to pray for just a minute. Maybe today you're living in a gray area. You're living in the gray area, or maybe there's a gray area of your past. What I want you to know today is this, that the blood of Jesus Christ covers the gray area. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you or point you out. But right now, if you'd say, Brad, man, I've been living in the gray area, or there's some some gray areas from my past and I need Jesus to forgive me. Just call out to Him right now. God, forgive me. Thank You for the blood of Jesus Christ. God, help my thoughts and my words and my actions to always honor You. Ladies, there's some things you're going to need to get rid of in your life. And you know what they are. There's some things that don't belong in your mind. There's some things that don't belong in your headphones. There's some things that don't belong in your hands and books and other things that you just, you know what? I, I, you got to give that over to God. Men, there's some things you're doing. And God says, I don't want you doing that. You're not getting my best. I want you to surrender that to Him today. Give that to Him. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You say, Brad, I, I, man, I need Him. I want you just to pray this prayer with me. Father, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. So far from you. I've just made so many mistakes. But I thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus that can cover over my sin and remove it from my life. Thank you, God, that you make us new. Thank you, God, that you wash us clean. Thank you, God, that you give us a hope, a future. You're so good to us. Jesus' name. Amen.